It's good to see you this morning, and I'd like to, excuse me, I'd like to invite you to open up your Bibles with me to John's Gospel in the 8th chapter. I'm going to be reading from verses 31 to 36, and I indicated in the note I sent out last night with a sermon manuscript that um, I heard a sermon preached by Robert Gustafson, who's the, um, the president of Erskine College and Seminary, during our annual meeting, our synod meeting, uh, not this last week, but the week before. And I was really inspired by some of the things that he said. And uh, I had a theme in mind uh, before I'd heard the message, but when I heard what uh, Dr. Gustafson did with this text, I thought, well, this is the text I want to preach as well. Some of my ideas are uh, certainly inspired by what he said. One of them is directly drawn from what he said, so I want to give credit to where credit is due. But ultimately, a sermon when it's preached by a pastor who's prepared it, is hopefully a work of the Holy Spirit in him and, and, um, and uh, the integration of the Word of God into, into life today. So I want to, uh, I'm going to read from John 8, 31 to 36. Uh, Jesus said to the Jews who believed in him, it's important, who believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And they answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? And Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free... You'll be free indeed. Uh, You'll be with him forever. You'll be regarded as a son yourself. Let's pray. Father, as we look at this passage of Scripture, I ask you to make the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts acceptable in your sight. Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Uh, Amen. Well, uh, the message of this morning is really uh, very simple. At the end of your life, you may have regrets. Most people do have some regrets. But I'll tell you one thing you'll never regret. You'll never regret staying Christian. You'll never regret staying Christian. I'm not talking about a label. I'm talking about a life. Now, it's always timely, I think, to speak of something like this, but it's especially so today and this season as we've been honoring and celebrating many of our graduates. Because if you've not read or heard, uh, you may well have seen this painfully firsthand, that the transition from high school to college is a point at which many Christians drop out, drop out of church. They are moving forward in their life, but they're leaving Christ behind. I remember when I was at the University of Illinois many years ago, one of my housemates was a pastor's son. He was very good-natured. He sang in the choir whenever he went home on weekends, but uh, around us on weekends, that's when he drank, that's when he smoked dope, that's when he did his best to sleep with girls, and most of them had better sense than to do that. But one time I got in trouble. Um, this fellow had a nickname. And his nickname was Porpoise. I'm sorry. Yes, yes, it was Porpoise. <laughs> You'll understand in a moment. 
I wasn't making this up. His nickname was Porpoise because he had this wedge of hair that kind of shot up from his head just like a fin. So I was a freshman and I was trying to be cool, so I decided I would call him by his nickname, but I became anxious just like I did a moment ago. And so instead of calling him Porpoise, I called him Dolphin. (laughs) Dolph, I called him. That was not good. When I came to my second year, my sophomore year, I came to faith in Christ in November of my sophomore year, November 12th, for those of you who are keeping dates, I'm one of those who has the day and time, and a number of other of my housemates were beginning to come to faith in Christ as well, and you know, uh, Porpoise had a hundred times more Bible knowledge, son of a pastor growing up in church, he had a hundred times more Bible knowledge uh, and, than, than any of us, than all of us put together, but he would not associate with us. He, he would not identify as a Christian. Well, I hope and pray that, you know, he's long since come to his senses and has come back to Christ and come back to a faith that he once had and seemed to lose, but by God's grace actually didn't lose. I pray that's the case. I don't want to leave you with a bad opinion of him necessarily. But I just want to point out that there's a reason that the Bible talks about people falling away. You know, when they're they're in the faith, they're professing Christ, they seem to be living for Christ. Uh, I'm not talking about predestination this morning and all that. I'm talking about on the horizontal level, when people have been following Christ and then they stop. It's described often as falling away. And there's a reason for it. And the reason for it is because in most cases they didn't intend to. It was just sort of something that happened. A LifeWay research study, this is through the Southern Baptist Convention, and the LifeWay does a lot of good research. A LifeWay research study found that 71% of students who drop out of church after graduating from high school say they didn't plan to do that. They didn't expect that to happen. They didn't want that to happen. Now I want you to hear me clearly this morning because really you find Christians falling away who didn't plan to fall away at every stage and at every age of life. In fact, uh, alongside adolescence, the next period of time, demographically, when the most people who've been churched and faithful in Christ fall away is actually in their later middle years and their upper years. Well, I want to say that this was an issue in Jesus' ministry. You remember after he fed the 5,000 from the two small fish and the five small Loaves, and after he had taught that he was actually the bread of life of heaven come down to give eternal life to men, John 6 underscores that many of those who had actually tasted his miracle, John calls them disciples in his gospel, turned back and no longer walked with him. And now, two chapters later in John chapter 8, our text this morning was during the Feast of Lights, the festival of Hanukkah, in which Jesus had said, I am the light of the world. John tells us at the end of verse 30, many believed in him. And then verse 31, which is our text this morning, begins, Jesus said to the Jews who believed in him, And then this is what he said. He said, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. What Jesus is telling them to do 
if you accept my, if you'll accept my parlance, he's telling them to stay Christian. And he's also telling them why. So what was the outcome? Well, in the last verse of chapter 8, these same people, many of those people who had believed in him were trying to stone him to death. I want us to take verses 31 and 32 more seriously than they did. I want to apply Jesus' words to us, but I want to apply his words to us in our cultural context, not in the first century context. Well, what... How do we do that? What, what am I talking about? Well, you know, we can certainly invoke the name of Satan. We can certainly speak of sin when we think about and, and describe what it is to fall away from Christ. But I also want to point out to you this morning, drawing from Jesus' words also, we can speak of more, in more familiar terms of how the cares and the anxieties of life, how the pursuit of wealth and achievement, and how self-satisfaction lead people or cause people to fall away. We don't have to invoke demons to have a serious and truthful discussion about it. And this correlates with research today. There are a lot of, a lot of research on this, but here's, here's some findings from the Pew Research Center. And I think we have a slide on it. Do we have a... Yes. Well, you can't see it very well, but I'll explain it to you. Here's some findings from the Pew Research Center, which asked Americans, a couple thousand Americans, the open-ended question, what is most meaningful to you in your life? It was open-ended, not closed-ended. They weren't given choices. They could say whatever they wanted to say. And the top three were family. Uh, 69% said family. Uh, 34% said career. 23% said money. That was number three. And the fourth most frequently stated fourth was spirituality and faith, which was almost the same as friends and hobbies, like pets, like Mr. Tibbs, my dog. What was interesting to me about this study is that, you know, the top three weren't the big three that Christians often, or preachers or whatever, often talk about. Uh, we often see maybe glorified in, in, in pictures, uh, uh, money, lust, and power. Uh, the things that Christian writers denounce as, power, as uh, idols. The top three were not money, lust, and power. They were in this order, family, career, and money. And as you know... Uh, because you've done it yourself, we will sacrifice for the lesser things for greater things. We will sacrifice things that mean less to us for things that mean more to us. Uh, I, I don't know anybody who, who is, has a family who hasn't sacrificed for the love of their family. Lesser things. I don't know many people who do not sacrifice for the sake of professional growth. Uh, put off a lot of other things. Give up a lot of other things. Give up money for professional growth. And I don't know anyone who hasn't sacrificed for the sake of finances. And uh, so they are secure. They have the money that they need in order to, to live. They give up other things. Things they would want to do. Things they would love to do. Hobbies. Uh, pets. Uh, 
furniture, home and surroundings is 13% up there. They sacrifice, they give up things. But notice where faith is here. It is number four. It's far behind family. It's well behind career, even behind money, and just ahead of hobbies. I think that describes a lot about how and why people fall away. The lesser thing goes for the sake of the greater thing. The pursuit of wealth, uh, the pursuit of career, uh, what we consider to be the good of the family. Um, we've got to have our kids in sports on Sunday morning. Uh, that's, a, that's a pass because family counts most. This is our cultural context. You grow up, each one of you, and then you live under the profound influences and persuasions that lead to this ranking. In other words, if you just sort of go along, you will naturally tend to fall in this, fall out like this. And if you've lived long enough, and I have to say this, honestly, if you live long enough, or you know yourself well enough, you know how, you know how easily family, career, and finances can be invoked simply as masking words. They are mere cover behind which we are pursuing what John calls in 1 John the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. Seeing that we have the best and the most of everything we can have for our family, educationally, economically, socially, career-wise, techno-wise, thing-wise, because it's for the family. I'm doing this for the family, for my career. If it's possible for me to have it, to acquire it, then I ought to do that. Now I want us to return to Jesus' words and hear him speak into our context. Because what he says here is not only what it means to stay Christian, but then he also talks about why it merely matters. He says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. That's the what. That's what it is to stay Christian. You abide in my word, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. That is the why that is so important. Uh, that is uh, the payoff. Uh, you know, that is the result. That is the bonus. That's what comes with abiding in Christ's word. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And when Jesus says, you'll truly be my disciple, remember what disciple means. The Greek word simply means learner. And for Jesus, disciple, just like the word Christian, it is not a label, it is a life. And he says that it consists of abiding or remaining in his word. Now what is he, why does he say that? If you abide in my word. Why didn't he just say, if you abide in my words? And I think the reason is, Because everything Jesus said in its entirety was one powerful, divine revelation. Everything in its entirety was the revelation of Christ to us. And his word has the same power to change you today 
that Jesus had when he was speaking face-to-face to people 2,000 years ago. To abide in Christ's word really is to abide in Christ. To take Christ's word to your heart, to treasure it above all other things is to take Christ to your heart. It is to receive Christ in your heart. And that's why he says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And then he says, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. The longer that you take his word into your heart, the longer that you hold it dear, the more you will become exactly what God created you to be. And the more freedom you will experience as a result. And you say, well, how does that work? What's behind that? And I'm going to suggest what's behind that can be understood in these terms. Centuries before Jesus was born, the Greek philosopher Aristotle taught this. He said, when we are free to act according to our nature, we are truly free. And that's where happiness is found. That's when we thrive. When we are free to act according to our nature. In other words, another way to put this is that when what we ought to do is what we desire to do, that is freedom. That is true freedom. That is the key to happiness. That is the key not just to happiness, but to flourishing in life. What I want to do, what I most want to do, really is what I ought to do. What is consistent with my nature. And what are you? You're a creature made in the image of God. And so Jesus said, if you abide in my word, you're truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Well, when you think about truth, then what is he saying? What is he really talking about? When he says, if you abide in my word, you're truly my disciples, and you'll know the truth, this is what he's saying. He is talking about what is real. He's talking about what, is, what reality is. He is talking about what is so no matter what. He's talking about what remains unchanging behind everything that is changing, everything that's in flux in the world. He's talking about what lies behind it. And it's that that gives meaning to everything else, which is not self-interpreting. It's that from which we get wisdom. It's that. There are two views of reality. The Greek and the Hebrew view. The Greek view in the West, we've inherited from, we've inherited from the Greeks. We've inherited a view from the Greek philosophy. We've inherited an assumption. And this assumption says that truth comes by sight. Truth comes by seeing. We begin with ourselves. We begin from ourselves. We look around us. We see. We measure. 
we test with our senses and then we subject the results of that from that point to our reason and we use reason and apply our reason to what we see. You understand the metaphor of seeing, what we sense, what we measure, what we can test. But the Hebrew view of reality is very different. The Hebrew reality, and it was Jesus' view, was that truth does not come by seeing. Truth comes by hearing. It must be received. Truth comes from beyond ourselves. In fact, not only does truth come from beyond ourselves, truth comes from beyond everything that's in flux, everything that's ever changing, rising, falling, living, dying. Truth comes from beyond that, which means it comes from beyond the universe. It is not material. It comes from beyond the material. You cannot know truth from material. Material is not self-interpreting. It can't tell you what its purpose is. It can't tell you anything about meaning. So the truth is not the product of our reasoning. It doesn't come simply by our sensing what we feel, taste, touch, see, even with all of our instrumentation. Truth is not a product of reasoning. It is a matter of revelation. Truth is a matter of what is eternal because it's true. It never changes. It's a matter of what is eternal speaking to us. What is eternal speaking into what is temporal. What's ever changing, ever erupting, ever decaying, ever living, ever dying. That's where truth is. So truth comes by hearing. There's someone out there who wants to speak to us. He has something to say to us. And that's where the Hebrew view is so different from the, from the, uh, from the Greek view. But ultimate reality is a person who's behind all of this, a personal God, a creator. But left toward that, just even if you didn't believe that, even if you were not a theist or did not believe in God, doesn't it make sense that left to ourselves, to the use of our senses and our reason, not only as very limited creatures, but also as very fallen creatures, left to ourselves, looking at this world with all of its uncertainties and its absurdities and its contradictions, subject as this world is to futility, left to ourselves, looking to this world, we cannot arrive at truth. We cannot know truth. We may amass a million gigs of data, but there's so many bits. There are so many pieces of a puzzle. But the truth that gives coherence and unity to the whole and meaning to each part, the reason for their existence, the reason existence exists, is not to be found among them. The stability and the continuation of all that is in the midst of all the flux and all the chaos and all the change. That reason is not to be found in the flux and in the change and in the chaos and in the decay. And so into this world 
clothed with humanity. One has come. One has come who has spoken so we hear. And he has said to us in a way we can understand, accommodating us, I am the truth. I am the light of the world. I am the alpha and the omega. I am the beginning and the end. I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. I am. And abiding in him and in his word changes everything for the so much better. Having him at the top of that list affects everything else so profoundly and makes everything else so much better what it's supposed to be, what it's supposed to be like, what the potential, we talk about what potential, human potential really is as God made us in his image. So when you think about falling away, what is falling away in terms of the the table that you saw, falling away is simply taking the faith and notching it down the scale. We see how Americans place great emphasis, place highest value on family, career, and money, uh, above all things, according to the research. Maybe somebody could grab me some water. Let's think about that for a moment. Now speak personally to hear uh, to you here, and you know, granted, I'm only a sample of one. But had I not remained in Christ and His Word, and seen how others live who have abided who have abided in Christ far, far longer than I had, I would never have begun the transformation that needs to continue. But I would never have begun the transformation to cherish my wife so that she could thrive. Our marriage would never have been what it is today. I would never have learned to father my children. I say learned to father my children without that harshness that wounds. I would never have learned that. I would never have known that. Ever. What about career? It was only by abiding in Christ and his word. And what I really mean by this, and I hope you understand, what I really mean is it's only by Christ and his word graciously abiding in me that I could stand here today after 45 years of ministry. That's my career. You have a different career. And I'm not being melodramatic. Jesus' word has strengthened me. His word is powerful. It has strengthened me to keep my focus. Career is not about how high. Career is not about how fast. It's not about how much. It's not about how far. Career is about doing your best under the Lord every day, consistently, over time. And I have found great freedom in that. 
and to the degree I'm happy about my career, that's where my happiness resides. I've told many of you before, the model or I've adopted, the way I think of myself as, is a cobbler. You know, for many years I thought I was supposed to, if you're really successful, you're going to run a, have a, own a shoe factory or have a whole, whole series of shoe stores. Apply it to myself as a minister. Apply it to yourself as a banker. Apply it to yourself in whatever field you are. But you know what God told me? I want you to be a cobbler. Be happy to make the best pair of shoes you can for someone whenever you have the opportunity to do it and be part of the common good and leave everything else to me. That's my philosophy of life. That's my philosophy of work. And it has brought me happiness. But honestly, it comes from the word. It comes from abiding in Christ. Rewards aren't ours to grasp. You know, when I wrote this sermon, the first time I wrote it, I think this is what I, I sent out. I think I said, rewards are not ours to grasp, but they are Christ's uh, to give uh, if and when he chooses. But that's not true. Rewards are Christ's to give when and how he chooses because he does bless his people. It's not an if, it's a when and a how. And it's better than we can imagine. I believe it. Family, first, no. Christ in his word, first. Career, first, no. Christ in his word, first. Transforms everything else. What about money? You know, several weeks ago, I, was, I preached that you'd never regret being generous. I think that was the first in the series that I preached on what you'll never regret. That was such an important life lesson to me. But I can tell you this, that had I bailed on Christ and had I bailed on his word early on, early on, I would never have experienced that freedom or that truth because it really takes time. And I would add that I, I look forward to experiencing it more, more of that freedom and learning more because I've by no means arrived. But I've really come to see over the course of my life that if I abide in Christ and in his word, I really do come to know the truth. These are not bits and pieces. These are the expression of the truth of Christ. And it's very transformative. It's very powerful. Because over time what happens is that what I ought to do, I'm not talking about moral law, I'm talking about what I ought to do as one who's been made in the image of God. The purpose for which I was made becomes what I want to do. And they're in sync. And that's where there's freedom and that's where there's happiness. And you won't find it outside of abiding in Christ. It's by remaining in Christ and his word first and foremost that family, career, finances, and every other dimension of human life and human experience acquire the satisfaction and the significance that we long for. In fact, even more than that. I said to you, I'm a sample size of one, and I am. But I say to you, church, today, though I may be an N of one, the word that I'm sharing is not my own. It is from the Alpha and the Omega, the light of the world. Stay Christian. Don't become a statistic. 
and you'll never regret it. Let's pray together. Father, I do love you and thank you for your word and thank you for your son. Thank you for the way you help us by giving us ears to hear. By weaning us away from overconfidence in what we can know for ourselves based on our own senses and use of reason, which is wonderful gifts. We couldn't survive without it. Without them. We couldn't thrive without them. But we cannot thrive if that's all we have either. We just can't. And Lord, I pray that Christianity would never be, would never be our hobby. Thank you for Christ. Thank you for your son, Father. bright shining star in Jesus name Amen